to the message. I just um, want to mention that today at 2.30 at the Henry Pratt uh, factory, there's going to be a prayer vigil. And it's going to be at 2.30. It's sort of, it's going to be sponsored by the Aurora Prayer Coalition, uh, which is part of Dan Haas, who's gone around whenever there's been a, uh, a killing and prayed in those locations. Um, but it's also a lot of other churches are going to be there. Uh, crosses for losses, uh, city officials. Um, it, it, there's just going to be a lot taking place, but also Channel 7 is going to be there. So if you want to be there, I think that's wonderful. If you don't want to be there because of the media aspect of it, I can also understand that. Praying, not just today, but praying for for um, the city, praying for the employees, praying for uh, the families. I mean, the amount of people that this tragedy has touched is phenomenal. Um, and it's, it's easy to experience something as, as a crisis now and then within weeks forget about it and that's the danger and that's what's happened so we, we, we can become desensitized to the things that are taking place what's amazing in, in some respects is when I was looking at the scripture that we were I was preaching on today it goes directly with what's going on in our society and the things that are taking place um, and so if you turn to Matthew 18 um, we're going to be focusing on 12 through 14, but go ahead and read Matthew 18, 10 through 14. And um, then we'll get into the Word. If anybody's wondering, I plan on going to that prayer vigil. Uh, prayer vigil. What was amazing is that you're living in this event and the different people that contact you. Um, almost immediately, my brother from Colorado, my sister from Florida, my aunt from Dallas, another friend from California, all contacted me. Um, the company, the company called Marketplace Ministry, which um, has chaplains and companies that, and they are connected also in trying to get support and help there. So it's it's amazing the amount of support that is there, um, but it's just a matter of what really is going to change our society, and that's that's really what this chapter. These verses talk about. 
Uh, Matthew 18 chapter opened with the disciples asking Jesus as to who is the greatest in the kingdom. And throughout that, Jesus' response all through chapter 18 is telling them what greatness really is. Um, what does that really look like? And he spends the whole chapter teaching them how to relate to one another, not with a sense of pride, but with a sense of humility. Uh, and then in Matthew 18, verses 7 through 11, he spoke specifically about the issue of being a stumbling block. What behaviors are you doing that may cause somebody else to stray, to wander, to fall away, or to prevent them from saying, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that Christianity stuff. Because if that's what it looks like, I don't want it. And so he warns against that kind of behavior. So in essence, he's saying, you know, instead of thinking about how great you're going to be, think about how you are going to serve others. How are you going to grow in this relationship with me in order that you can tr really experience humility? Because you can't manufacture humility. It's not something you can say, okay, I'm going to go out and be humble, and look at me, I'm the most humble person you've ever met. You know, it's, it's something that only God can do, and the closer we are to him, the more humble we will be and recognizing that everything we have is a result of what God is doing in our lives. So Jesus points their eyes away from themselves and points themselves and points them towards others, saying, how are you going to love these people? How are you going to serve them? How are you going to make a difference in their lives? And so beginning in verse 12, he says, what do you think? Now, I find it interesting. In the beginning of chapter 18, it's, they ask him a question. Who's going to be the greatest? And now here in verse 12, he goes, now, what do you think? And it's a rhetorical question to bring them back to say, you know, hey, what's going on here? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, he does not leave the 99 and go into the mountains to seek the one. Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We have all lost something. Everybody here has lost something at some point in our life. Um, around our house, it's the remote, keys, wallets, you know, things that, you know, that we, depending on what value we put on them or how important we need them, or how urgent it is, it depends on how significant the search is for those things. Um, and again, it depends on the value. But what about people that are lost? You know, we, ha we have a society that puts high value on people that are lost. And so, you know, you'll see signs in grocery stores, at Walmart, wherever you go, that will say missing. Um, we've traveled and we'll be in a restaurant in some town in the middle of nowhere and there'll be a poster of somebody who's missing. It seems like it happens all the time. 
So we're determined that searching for people is an important prospect. That in our society, the physical being is searched for. People are important to us. We even have, you know, amber alerts that as soon as somebody is missing, there's an amber alert. You can get an app on your phone that tells you immediately when somebody is missing. And so there's that sense that we value that. Not long ago, a plane was flying uh, over Montana and it crashed into the mountain. There were five people in the plane. And it was right at the point of the timberline and there, a fire was started. The plane was upside down. They started a search rescue for it. But um, the sheriff, of the area said we're not gonna we're canceling the search because there's no way anybody would have survived two days later two people had walked two and a half miles from that plane and were found there was a third person who was in the plane who was alive when it crashed and when these two people left but by the time the search group found them he had passed um, they had given up a search. And it's because of an assumption that obviously everyone was dead. The parable of the lost sheep communicates with undeniable clarity that God is concerned about the lost, cares about individuals, and is consumed, consumed with an act of seeking love for the lost. Um, that he never gives up a search party. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, they're, they're too far gone. Nobody could have ever survived that. Um, he continues that search. So he goes, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Um, this is not the only time that Jesus speaks about the 99 sheep. In, chapter, in Luke, you have this uh, uh, a larger, or the parable is explained more in detail in, in Luke. But the Old Testament is filled with imagery of God as a shepherd. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament, you see it. And so surely the disciples caught this image. They, they understood this parable. Even Israel considered her, himself, herself the flock of God. Uh, so the, uh, the imagery of God being the shepherd of these people was simple for them to grasp, easy for them to understand. Uh, David prayed, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Every worshiping Hebrew uh, saying, Psalm 100, know that the Lord himself is God. He is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. They understood it. But the concern uh, was whether the disciples ever identified with Isaiah's confession. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. So do, do they understand that they too are sheep? Um, and then in Ezekiel 34, the prophets 
were exposed for not caring for the flock. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them. So they knew these verses. They knew that. They understood it. It was easy for them. And again, in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That was his purpose, folks, to come and seek that which was lost. Um, again, so Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd looking for lost sheep to show us the heart of God. And if we are to be Christ-like, if Christ is supposed to be our model, if we say that we are disciples, disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, then his heart needs to be our heart. If it's not, then we could say, you know, I'm a disciple of Christ sometimes. Or in certain ways. Or when it's beneficial. Or when it doesn't challenge me. Otherwise we say, you know what? This is, what, this is the heart of Christ. And I've surrendered my life to Christ. And he's transforming my heart. And making my heart new. This needs to be part of my heart. So everyone here in this prayer would have known. Parable would have known that they would have. And would have drawn the, the conclusion immediately. Jesus is telling us a parable about his sheep who is lost, and the shepherd who goes to find him because it tells us something about the character of God. It tells us about the character of God. Um, but first, to understand what that means, what does it mean to be lost? Um, I think we have all kinds of views of that. Um, but for me, the greatest lostness is not having an intimate relationship with God. Without an intimate relationship with God, a person is lost. That doesn't mean they can't function in life. It doesn't mean that they can't survive. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, that they can accomplish all kinds of wonderful, great things for humanity. But ultimately, for eternity, they're lost if they have no relationship. And that's who Christ came to find. The lost. Uh, other people just lost because they've never felt the love of God. Uh, never accepted his forgiveness or experienced his indwelling spirit. And yet he is searching for us. He's constantly searching for us. Like sheep we have wandered away from the pasture and started to seek satisfaction somewhere else. Instead of looking to God. Um, some feel the lostness of not being loved. Uh, then there's the lostness of feeling like you have failed. I've turned away. I failed. I've made too many mistakes. And so how can God ever forgive me? How can somebody else ever forgive me? How can life forgive me? And so there's just this sense of lostness. Of going through life. Not experiencing a connection that is free. 
uh, because of past. And I think everyone has felt some kind of lostness of a broken relationship, misunderstanding, differences. But the tra most tragic sense of lostness is when people don't know they're lost. They're going through life, but they have no clue that they're, they're lost. I think of a Gary Martin. The lostness of that person to have no sense of what he was going to do and the impact that it was going to cause and the pain it was going to cause in another person's life. And those are exactly the people that Jesus said need to be found. They need a savior. They need somebody to come into their life so that they can be healed of a pain that doesn't wreak havoc on everybody else around them. The evidence of being that lost is not caring. Not caring for anyone. Not caring for other things. Not caring for people. Not caring for the lostness of other people. To be insensitive to the pain and the confusion and the hurts and the lostness of those that are around us. Those are all signs of being lost ourselves. Then we become insensitive. And so Jesus says, in what way do you identify with lost sheep? In what way do you identify in your own sense of lostness? Because I've come to seek and to save and to heal and to guide and to restore that which was lost. Being lost is never fun. But I would much rather be lost geographically, and I have been lost many times geographically, than being lost spiritually for eternity. We will do everything we possibly can to find a person who is lost physically. We have an immediate Amber Alerts. What do we do as a church to find people who are lost spiritually? Even people in our own church or in our own community or Christians that we've known who seem to have stepped away from the faith. There should be an Amber Alert that says, you know what? Aaron's lost. I'm using you, Aaron, because I know you're not, you know. But if you were, we would put, we would put out an Amber Alert. L Lynette would be on the phone instantly. <laughs> um, so there's just that sense. Uh, and this whole story can be broken down into four verbs. The first one is lost. There is no better term to describe man's condition in the world apart from God than lost. That just isn't a better term. Apart from God, you're lost. Uh, back in the 60s, that's where the whole I found it. And those of you who weren't even born will have no idea. You might have to Google the history of the I found it campaign. Um, but it was a revival that took place in the 60s. And then people would have bumper stickers on their cars that would say, I found it. Because they acknowledged that they were lost. And so they said, I found it. And what they found was a relationship with Christ. Um, 
Man is lost when he cannot define his present or plan his future. Even people who resist the notion that they're not lost will take a look at society and say, yes, society is lost. The, the human race seems to have lost its bearings. It's out of control. Uh, it has no idea where it's, it's going or how it's going to get there. Our political system is out of control. Our social system is out of control. Morality is out of control. So even people who don't admit that they're lost will still take a look and say a society is lost. And the scripture tells us that the reason why is because they don't focus on Christ. Christ is not there. Uh, the sad thing is that when we're lost, lost people hurt people. I know that there's a saying, you know, hurt people hurt people. The only reason why people hurt someone else is because they're hurt. But the only reason why people are hurt is because they're lost. Take it to real, the basic foundation. People just aren't hurt. People are hurt because they have no hope. People are hurt because there's no healing. People are hurt because there's no comfort. People are hurt because there's no faith. And so when you have no place to go and you experience events in life, there's nothing to do but to carry that hurt. If you can release the hurt, if you can let go of the hurt, if you have some kind of hope, there's a difference. And that's what Christ calls us to. But the greatest hurt, the greatest hurt is the owner of that which was lost. Okay? So you have a shepherd who's lost a sheep. The sheep doesn't even know it's lost. But who feels the pain? The shepherd. The woman who lost a coin, who searched all night for the coin. The coin didn't know it was lost. The owner knew it was lost. The father who waited for his son to come back. The son, when he first left home, didn't know he was lost. The father did. And who suffered the pain? The owner. Who suffers the pain the most when people are lost? The owner. And who's the owner? God. And he's saying, my people are lost. And so greater things are going to be done in the city. There's only one way greater things will ever be done in the city. That's when the believers in the city take seriously the commands from Christ. We were sharing in staff, and I had mentioned that most Christians like the church to be a cruise ship. I get on the ship. Everything is nice. Everything is safe. People serve me. People take care of me. And that's, that's how I want to live my Christian life. I want it always to be a kumbaya moment when I go to church. That it's always hopeful. The reality is, is that Christianity is that everybody's on a battleship. Every person on a battleship has a purpose. Every person on a battleship is fighting a battle. Everyone, there's nobody sitting back and saying, hey, this is not my job. You know, I'm just, I'm just here. I paid for my ticket. I'm just cruising. No. 
And there's a war going on outside. There's a war going on in our families. There's a war going on everywhere we are that people are lost. And God said, and look at chapter 14. What is chapter 14? What does verse 14 say? Somebody out loud because I have no idea where my notes are or even where I am. So. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. But we're, we're on that battleship. We're the ones that ha are making the difference. The second verb um, is going. Going after. He's going after the, per the people. Jesus said that his purpose for coming into the world was to seek and to save that which was lost. It is at this point that Christianity is separate from all other religions of the world. All of the other major religions, except for Christianity, are an attempt of humans to get to God. What can I do? What do I need to do to get to God? And in Christianity, it's the only one that says, no. It's what God has done for us. He has sought us. He came to seek us. God, Christianity is God searching for man. Um, and how blessed that we are a part of it and how blessed we are that Jesus doesn't go by numbers. Because Jesus could have easily said, okay, 99% of the people are saved, I'm good. I don't need to worry about that lost one. You know, put it in the books. Hey, we had a good year this year. We only lost, you know, 10, 1%. For Jesus, no. He looks for everyone. Um, sometimes as Christians, we even get confused about it when we talk about it and saying, I found the Lord. And, it's, and the, I understand the, the mentality. I understand the, the, the words. Because from a human perspective, it does sound like, okay, I found it. But the reality is, is that Jesus, was, Jesus found us. And he was the one that was searching. And so we just said, we put out the, you know, the signal that says, here I am. Here I am. Um, again. And he goes on again to remind us that our attitude should be the same attitude towards those who are lost and who are wandering. So Jesus shows us a picture of his heart and then says, do you have that kind of a heart? The third act is finding. Verse 12 and 13 just give us a beautiful picture of the gospel and what it means to be a Christian. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep? and one goes astray, he goes and looks for him. If you're that one, wouldn't you want somebody to come looking for you? Um, in England, you know what they call their tow trucks? Recovery trucks. Did you see any? Okay. They're recovery trucks. What's the nickname for a tow truck in our country? 
a wrecker. So if you were, same vehicle, same purpose, same basic reasoning, but one says, oh, I got to go pick up a wreck. And the other one says, I'm in the recovery business. You know? I think so many times Christians are search and destroy missions instead of on the recovery mission. We look for things to find wrong and we search and destroy instead of saying, you know what, people need recovery. People need help. Um, and that's what finding is. Being in the recovery business. Um, when we truly are found by Christ, it changes everything. Just try to imagine this sheep that is lost and the shepherd goes out and grabs the sheep, puts it over his shoulders and carries it back. Protects it, guides it, helps it, feeds it, leads it. And why would anybody not want that? Why would anyone not? And then why, if this is the command that God tells us to do, why don't we just become part of our natural terminology to say, you know what? You just might want to investigate the claims of Christ. It just might make a difference. When we are found by God, Jesus Christ becomes our center, our shepherd. Fear is gone because the good shepherd protects us. Faith is established because we know that Christ is the center and he's the one who's going to guide and direct us. Um, and then the last thing we see is that there's just a joy. You just see this a sense of joy that comes from experiencing Christ. That the shepherd goes back rejoicing. I have found. You want to know what makes God rejoice? One lost sinner that is found. Because it says the shepherd goes back rejoicing. He doesn't have to throw a party. He doesn't have to do anything else. He just says, yes, I found it. That's how significant each and every one of us are. Um, Jesus wanted no misunderstanding about his intent. In Luke it says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, the purpose of the church is to worship, to study, to fellowship, and to rekindle the fires of love for Christ in such a way that joy just becomes part of what we are and who we are, and that joy just becomes played, gets played out in everything we do. When churches lose their joy, they have usually have lost their vision or lost their mission. And I know that one man that I was talking to, who's a church consultant, said he went to this church and they, nobody smiles. There's no joy in the church. And I talked to him. I said, well, ask him, what is their vision? What is their mission? And you will see that that's what they've lost. They've lost that. And then again, in verse 14, it says, it's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We are never told anywhere in the scripture, never told anywhere in the scripture 
that God delights in the damnation of another person. He doesn't delight in that. Sometimes I do. There's, there's things when I see certain things happen, I'm, I'm, my first response, I'm glad he was killed. But God never delights in that. He delights in a lost person being found before going to hell for eternity. That's the heart of Christ. That's the heart of Christ that I sometimes don't have. That's the heart that tells me that this is where I still need to grow, that I still need to change. Um, because it says that he always delights. See, God calls us to be middlemen in compassion transactions. Between him and humanity, we are the middlemen. That we are the ones that are to be able to share that. So there's two lessons that I find in this, for me personally. To find lost sheep, I have to go where they are. There's a company that I go to one hour a week, and I'm their chaplain. I go every Friday at one o'clock. And I was in there on Friday, meeting with the employees. I just walk around, say hello. They share with me stories. They might share with me something that's going on. Some have shared with me the divorce situation or losses. Most of them aren't believers, and they, they admit that they're not believers. But if I'm not going to where they are, how can I expect them ever to come where I am? And so I just go there. Um, and that's part of what I do. You guys are already doing that. Because the majority of you work in places where people aren't believers. And so you, you live in that world. I have to go to that world and to be, to be that kind of an example. But I have to go to where they are. The other thing, finding lost sheep is a higher priority with God than tending lost sheep. Or just tending sheep. Here is the lost sheep. He finds one and says, he's rejoicing. He left the 99 because they were okay. They were fine. But he had to find that one. Finding lost sheep brings God joy, and it's also a high priority for him. And if it's a high priority for him, it has to be a priority for me. Um, and I've got to be honest to God. You know, no guilt zone, nothing else. Just that isn't always true. There are some times when I just see, have opportunities or see people, and I just don't share. I don't, I don't open up that door. Um, and that's usually my own pride. It's my own fear, my own fear of rejection, whatever it may be. But I just don't share. Um, but God has given us a mission and a commission to go and preach the gospel to the lost, to go forth and make disciples of all people. And if we're going to have the heart of God, that's the character quality we need. Um, a humbleness that says, this is what God has done for me, 
and this is what he can do for you. Um, we can do that in so many ways. First, just by being a lighthouse, by inviting over somebody over to your house for a dinner, by just being available to different people, but going out to where other people are. It delights the heart of the Father when sinners are saved and turned to him. I thought about that from another perspective. I can't imagine a more joy-filled person than Billy Graham. To be involved in, on a daily basis or a regular basis with the salvation of people and to just see those births taking place on a regular basis. Um, in this passage, Jesus shows us the heart of his Father. Then he calls on believers to act like him because we are a visible picture to the world of what our Father is like. And then to be able to share that with others. Father, we just praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together. Lord, we lift up the vigil that's going to be going on today, but not just today, Lord. We lift up the company and we continue to be a light into the city. And if, Lord, if provide those opportunities for us to be caring, to be compassionate, to be understanding, and to be that kind of a witness. And that when you open up those doors to us, to be able to just share what it means to have a relationship with you and how that can impact a person's life for eternity. You give us the words. You give us the sincerity. You give us the authenticity. And you guide us with your spirit. So it's just your truth coming forth, not, not anything else. And let your truth impact people's lives. Let us be the middlemen in your compassion transactions. Yeah, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Remember,